Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Shred's Takes. I am honored to be here today with Kent Coluco. Um, he's the president of IYB Basketball, one of the top training services in New Jersey. You know, he was the eighth, uh, he's the eighth all-time leading scorer in New Jersey history. He scored 2,780 points. So 2,780 points. Think about that for a second, folks. He averaged 34 points a game his junior and senior year. He played at James Madison, where he was a top 50 player in the country his senior year, averaged 14 points for his career, scored 1,700 points. Oh, man, Division I Basketball Hall of Fame, you know, played in Europe and, you know, tried out for teams such as the Cleveland Cavaliers and was on, was on a team for three months. Just unbelievable. You know, he's been training for 20 years, trained an incredible amount of Division I guys. And, I mean, just to name a few, Justin Minaya, he, he trained Kyle Anderson, who plays for the Memphis Grizzlies. He trains, trains Marlon Taylor, who plays for LSU. Um, and just developed high school All-Americans, again, overseas guys, of course. And he even played against Dirk, you know. Think about that. He played against one of the greatest power forwards to ever play in the game. So, Ken, thank you so much for being on the program. Um, really glad you're second. We'll be back in a second here. See Sorry, you. Mike. Yeah, uh, yeah, you just muted there for a second. Mike, no sorry, Mike. I forgot to unmute it, but uh, I'm happy to be here, Mike. Anything I can do to help good people, you're a good person. And, uh, you know, I've known you for many years now, watched you develop in high school, trained you in high school. And uh, I'm glad we're back together. And I'm glad uh, you're having success on the basketball court as well as this brand new podcast. And uh, like I said, anything I can do to help good people in my circle, I will do. And uh, I'm real happy with all your success on and off the court, Mike. Appreciate it. Uh, just getting right into it. So everyone, anyone who knows you knows that you are a phenomenal shooter. That's what you, you know, live yourself, hang your hat on, so to speak. You even had the phrase, which is on your shirt today, but can you shoot though? So, you go, Mike. And so, so explain to people where you learned to become a great shooter and why you thought it was so important at a young age to develop that for your game. Um, I think a lot of it is, is, is DNA. I mean, my father was a great shooter and, uh, he played at LIU Brooklyn and, um, he was the, uh, basketball coach at Burgerfield High School in Burton County for, I believe about 30 years. So, you know, me and my brother grew up in the gym every weekend. We were in Burgerfield at, at his practices, whenever we had a day off the of school and they had school, we were with him in the phys ed classes, we stayed after school. And uh, we were always on the side shooting as three, four-year-old kids. And then, uh, you know, once we got old enough in middle school, we would participate in the practices with the teams. And, uh, you know, my dad always was real um, – he was real precise with us with our mechanics. You know, he would always correct us and say, hey, that hand and elbow has to be underneath the ball. you got to be square. you got to have your hips square, your shoulders square. you got to go straight up and down. So he was a great shooter. Um, he didn't have the range I had, but 18 feet and in, I mean, I heard stories that, you know, this guy was just automatic, my dad. And, uh, you know, I, I soaked in anything he told me about shooting and he always stressed how important back then it wasn't a shooter's world. Now it's a shooter's world. But back then, I mean, if you could shoot, I mean, it was important, but now it's like everybody has to be able to step out and hit that trade ball. So, you know, I credit, uh, my father. And uh, me wanting to learn and listening to him and soaking up everything and then going out, you know, in my driveway, he set up a real nice court for us and real nice regulation size half court with an NBA three point line. 
when we were kids. And, uh, you know, me going out there and working on, you know, what he showed me. And, um, you know, through the years, I worked with other shooting coaches. Uh, Andy Enfield from USC is the head coach of uh, University of Southern Cal. I worked with him, and he's worked with numerous great NBA uh, shooters, you know, Ray Allen, uh, Paul Pierce, to name a few. And, you know, what my father taught me, what I worked on, and Andy Enfield taught me about shooting, you know, I just – it's just stuck in my head, and I use a lot of that stuff in my, in my training sessions today uh, to, pe to teach people how to shoot the ball the right way and be consistent with it. More about that. So how did you learn at each level to be an effective scorer? Because I played public school basketball in New Jersey. You know, that's a lot different than playing at JMU, and that's a lot different than playing over in Europe. So yeah. how, did you, how did you adjust your game anyway, or did you at all? Because it's going to be a little different than the defenses you're playing against at those levels. Yeah, I mean, once they know you can shoot, they, they try to prevent you from getting the ball. So there's a lot of face guarding going on, a lot of double teaming. You know, when I was in high school, um, you know, I mean, we had some pretty good, pretty strong teams in high school. We won the state championship my freshman and sophomore year. Um, my best team was probably my senior year. We were 24-0. and 0. Uh, We got the number one seed in the county tournament. We ended up getting to the finals of the Jamboree. Uh, we played Bergen Catholic, and, uh, you know, we had some good pieces. You know, you have to have good people around you so they can't double you. But once in a while, they say, hey, let's leave one guy open and let's let's try to hold Kaluko under his average. So they would put two guys on me. So now the things that you have to work on is getting open properly, how to change fields, how to change speeds, how to catch the ball and square up and get it off as quick as you can before the defense gets to you and those two guys get a hand up in your face. You know, so as you increase levels and the athletes get quicker and stronger, you have to develop things and ways to change speeds to get open, to square your hips up and get your shot off. So I used to, you know, pretend I was Bernard King, Chris Mullen, and I would come off, uh, you know, single down screens, some pin downs. I would come off staggers, and I would try to get that shot off so quick get my hips square, get my feet turned, and get that shot off so quick, and also work on ways where I triple threat and create the little space you need, that half second of space you need to get that shot off. So as the competition got better and I grew into a Division One player and a professional player, those are the things that I worked on, you know, how, how to get your shot off quicker, how to create that little bit of space that you need, and a lot of that comes from you know, being strong, working on your footwork, working on uh, your mechanics, working on your release, protecting the ball into your shot and uh, things of that nature to help you when you go against some of the top defenders in the world, you know. So that definitely helped me, Mike. Talk a little bit uh, just about your career at JMU. So everyone in high school kind of knows about just the fact of how dominant you were in Mawa, right? You touched a little bit about that now. But talk about JMU, the adjustments you had to go, just like not just from a player standpoint, just like, just from a whole different standpoint going in there and how you learned to be such an effective player leading up to the fact that you made that, you know, they call it the shot to get you guys in the NCAA tournament. So it's explain your experience at JMU for viewers who don't really know a ton about that. I mean, when you're playing against division one guys, everybody goes in there. My first year as a freshman at JMU, uh, I was coached by the legendary lefty Drizel who coached Len Bias at Maryland. Everybody knows that story. Um, it was between St. John's and James Madison. Um, since I was a local kid, I grew up as a St. John's fan, watching Chris Mullen, Walter Berry, you know, all these guys, uh, Buchanan. Uh, a lot of these, these guys, uh, you know, went on to the NBA and had great, great careers. So 
Luke Arnaseca, the legendary coach of St. John, started recruiting me, I believe, my sophomore year. And the thing about it was Luke Arnaseca also recruited my father. Uh, he was the coach of the Nets, and um, he, he, he tried – this was the ABA going back to the 60s, and he tried to get my dad into the ABA with the Nets. So my dad had a good relationship with Luke Arnaseca, and also Brian Mahoney, who was the assistant at, um, at St. John's, was also – um, a good friend of my father because he went, uh, Brian Mahoney played at Manhattan College. My father played at LIU Brooklyn. So back in the 60s, the NIT tournament was huge with St. Peter's, LIU, uh, Manhattan, Niagara. That was the big, you know, the big four, you know, or the big five. And the NIT was like the NCAA. So my father, when St. John's came after me strong and Luke Carnesecco offered me a full ride, my father was really leaning toward me to go to St. John's. He said, Luke Karnasek is going to be there for one year for you. He's probably, he's probably going to retire after, after 1991, my freshman year. And Brian Mahoney, who's my best friend, who I played against in college all the time. We played in summer leagues together in New York City. This is my father speaking. You know, he's going to take care of you. And, you know, they, they came into my house several times. They came to a lot of my high school games. And they showed me, like, tapes of, of uh, Chris Mullen, tapes of Ron Rowan, who was another uh, great shooter at St. John's. And they said, this is how we're going to use you. We're going to have you come off singles, doubles, triples. And we're going to use you the same way that we use the great shooter, Chris Mullen. You know, you're going to get shots. You're going to get the ball. We're going to set you up. And uh, sometimes that's what, you, that what I needed at that next level. You know, I wasn't known for my ball handling skills, but I needed someone to set a screen for me. And you come down and set a screen for me, and I set my man up the right way. And I'm coming off that thing. And, and you know, 80% of the time, it's going down. So uh, when St. John's came on board into the recruiting process, I was like, hey, I want to play at Madison Square Garden. This is the big apple we're talking about. And I was telling my mother, and she was like, you know what? Rutgers, who was also after me heavy, heavy and hard, was sending my mom all this bad press about Jamaica, Queens, and how they have no dorms on campus. St. John's, I'm talking about how the kids have to live off campus in a dangerous environment, how there's carjackings going on, there's the murder raid in Jamaica, Queens. But really, Jamaica Estates was really a prestigious, uh, wealthy community around the St. John's campus, outside the campus. So Rutgers were sending my mother all this hate mail about St. John's because they know my number one choice was St. John's and I wanted to play in Madison Square Garden. So when my mother started getting all this hate mail about all the crime in, in Jamaica, Queens and all this different stuff, at that time, James Madison came into the picture. And Lefty Drizel had that southern twang that, tw that he had that charm about him, you know. And my mother kind of fell in love with uh, Lefty Drizel, his southern charm, his re recruiting techniques and his tactics. Uh, his son, Chuck Drizel, who was the assistant at JMU, saw me at Eastern Invitational Camp. Um, I believe I got the MVP of the week down there. I was in the All-Star Game, and I, I really shined in the All-Star Game. And he came right up to me, and he said he, he started calling me Superman. So that was his thing on how he was going to recruit me. He was going to call me Superman since my name was Kent, Clark Kent. And uh, so he said, hey, Superman, listen, we want you down to JMU. You're going to be a four-year starter. We play all the best non-conference. We, 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 play, we play the top five non-conference schedule in the country. We're playing UNLV. We're playing Georgia Tech. We're playing Auburn. We're playing Clemson. We're playing, um, you know, Brigham Young with, uh, with big uh, Sean. What's the big guy's name? Sean uh, Bradley, big Sean Bradley, for those of you uh, that are my age that know Sean Bradley, the first seven foot seven guy in the NBA that was on, um, 
that movie with Michael Jordan and them. Space Jams. Uh, so he said, listen, we're going to play the best non-conference schedule. You're going to be on TV seven, eight, nine times a year. We're going to open up against Georgia Tech in the preseason NIT against Travis Best and Malcolm Mackey and, and Matt Geiger and John Barry. Um, so he started, like, using his Southern charm, and he really got to my mother. And my mother was like, hey, you know, I want you to go to JMU. I know it's your choice, but I'm, I'm favoring JMU. The campus is beautiful. Uh, the women are beautiful. The basketball program is on the rise because of Lefty Drizel. Um, and we were going to play, play like a really top non-conference schedule. The Colonial Conference back then was really strong. We had Old Dominion. We have George Mason, who went to the Final Four that one year. We had Richmond, who, who was always in, in the, uh, the round of 32, the Sweet 16. So we were playing a really good conference schedule when the Colonial was really tough. We had Virginia Commonwealth in that conference. So, uh, you know, it was really hard for me. I was really frustrated over who I was going to choose, St. John's or JMU. Um, but then I put, you know, all the pros and cons for me and my father listed about 20 different criteria. Um, and JMU came on top, you know, with all the pros and cons for the 20 different areas that we evaluated. So, uh, um, you know, JMU won the uh, recruiting battle. And I started all four years there, had a great career there. Um, you know, the legendary shot that everybody talks about. Um, it, was, it was an unbelievable feeling to, to make that shot, to play in the NCAA tournament. Um, we played up in Nassau Coliseum, so a lot of my family and friends were able to see me. Of course, a lot of my high school friends were mad at me that I didn't go to St. John's because they wanted to – you know, be in my circle, be in that local circle and have me around and come to the garden and see me play. But it didn't work out. And, you know, that's the way it went. And I'm happy I made that decision. Speaking a little bit more about your professional career. So you played, you know, in Europe and you also, you know, played, you were on some NBA teams briefly, right? Even, you know, you played, you played against Dirk in when he was 18 years old. And, you know, you did great in the German league, right? averaging 24 points a game one year. Yep. So speak about yeah. it, like that, that whole professional experience, what that was like for you. Because that must have been pretty, I don't know, chaotic or interesting, just like the whole like dynamics of playing in the NBA, then you're not, and now you're in Europe. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about how that all just transpired for you and how you kept your confidence in that yeah. whole time. So my dad was uh, good friends with Mike Fratello, who was the Cleveland Cavaliers coach. So after my senior year at JMU, I played in the Portsmouth Invitational. It was the top 50 seniors got invited down there that weren't in the top 20 of the first round uh, draft. So I went down and played in Portsmouth and uh, Mike Fratello got a hold of my dad said, I definitely want, you know, your son coming into my free agent camp for the Cleveland Cavs. So I went against uh, Bobby Sura. I went against uh, Donnie Marshall from UConn and I had a decent camp, but I was just getting my feet wet. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't comfortable yet, you know, in the professional element. So uh, uh, an agent from Finland reached out to me, uh, a guy named John Schlegel. He said, I got a job for you in Finland. I want you to come over here and play the season in Finland. So I, I, uh, I didn't give up my NBA dreams. I, I put it on hold and I went to Finland uh, because it was a, a job I needed to, to get so I can continue my resume and continue uh, getting footage for NBA teams. So I went over there to Finland, have, had, a real good, uh, had a real good season. And um, after that, the New Jersey Nets got a hold of me. And uh, at the time, their coach was John Calipari. This was in 97. They invited me to their vet camp, and uh, their vet camp was at FDU. At the time, they were, they were having their – I'm sorry, their free agent camp at FDU. 
So I went to their free agent camp. I, I really played well. I killed it. I made a lot of my shots. We had a three-on-three tournament every day, and my team was winning every day. I was making open shots. They had me at the point, which I wasn't comfortable at the point, but I was able to run the offense, start the offense, and when the ball kicked to me, back then the uh, Eastern Conference, you know, every, every Eastern Conference team had a, had a big center that was an all-star, and the half-court sets back then in the, in the late 90s were, hey, we're looking to get the ball inside to our big guy, and then the second option is to kick it out for the three. So if the NBA was structured like it is now, Mike, where, I mean, the, the Rockets, the Warriors, I mean, these teams are taking 40, 50, 60 threes a game, no doubt in my mind I would be in the NBA if, if the NBA was now was like it was back then. You know, I, there's no question in my mind that, you know, I'd be in the NBA and I would have had a good career in the NBA. But um, I went to the Nets free agent camp. Willis Reed came up to me after the third day, said, listen, I want to sign you to a non-guaranteed contract. I'm inviting you to our vet camp down in Atlantic City High School. Uh, that's where they had their vet camp. So I was with the Nets um, for a whole month working out with Kerry Kittles and Keith Van Horn. We would go to uh, FDU and, and TNEC, and we'd work out every day together. And I just waited for the vet camp to start. The vet camp started in October. So we go down to Atlantic City High School. Um, I have a great camp. Uh, I become real good friend, uh, friends with Jason Williams. And uh, he says, man, and him and Michael Cage, who is another NBA vet, uh, Michael Cage came up to me and said, listen, man, you're going to make this team, man. I mean, just keep doing what you're doing. I mean, you're, you're starting the offense, you're getting people to rock, and you're knocking down every open shot you have. You know, to me, the NBA game was a lot easier, Mike. I, I didn't have a guy in my face. I didn't have a guy face guarding me. My guy would leave me to go double down on the seven-footer who would get the ball in the mid post or the high post. And I'd get kickouts, and, and, you know, all I had to do was make wide open shots. Um, so uh, they signed me to a non-guaranteed contract, went to the vet camp. We had the, the blue-white scrimmage where they opened it up to the public. My dad came down. My brother came down to Atlantic City High School. Um, I, I played really well in the scrimmage. Uh, after the scrimmage, they take me and this guy, uh, Caruth, from Virginia Tech, big seven-footer, and they say, uh, you know, we're going to release you. I was like, when, when they said that word release, Mike, my heart just sank to my stomach, you know, because all the vets on the team were like, dude, you're going to make this team. You're going to make this team. You know, we need someone like you and in, 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 on this team. Um, back then, the rosters were 14 deep, 15 with the IR. So I said, I'm, I'm definitely making this team. Um, Kenny Smith came in late, came in late to the picture. He was, on, he was at the end of his career, and he, his knee was shot. But I think the Nets just wanted to have him in the locker room as a veteran guy that the young guys looked up to. Back then, um, like I said, Keith Van Horn was a rookie. Kerry Kittles was in his, like, his second year. Lucius Harris was in his first or second year. Um, so Sam Cassell was there. Um, Keith Van Horn, Jason Williams. Um, and, you know, I really felt like I belonged. So when I got cut there, I was like – I went into depression, Mike, probably for like six months where I didn't really work out and uh, I took it hard because I knew I could play at that level. Even if I was the 12th or 13th man, I knew I was going to get an opportunity someday. And when I got out there, you know, the NBA game, Mike, is, is easy. It's, it's an easy game and it's a relaxed game. And if you could make shots, you know, you're going you're gonna to make money and you're going to sign, you know, a long-term deal. Uh, it didn't work out. I went to Germany. And that's where I played against Dirk Nowitzki. Uh, he was playing for his hometown. I think the name of the town was called like Nuremberg or something like that. 
And back then, uh, Dirk was an 18-year-old phenom in Germany. So we heard about him. Uh, the NBA was just getting word about him that, hey, he, he's going to be in the NBA if he keeps developing in a year or two, you know. And all, all the German guys on my team were like, hey, wait till you see this guy, Dirk. You know, he's, he's skinny, he's frail, but he's seven foot and he's got skills, you know. So uh, we played his team. We, we, it was a real close game. Uh, we lost by about 10. I had an unbelievable game where I just shot lights out. I had 33 points. Word started getting out around Germany that, you know, there was a kid, Kaluko, that was in town, and this kid could shoot the ball, you know. So uh, I lasted the whole season in Germany. We had a great, a great year. We, uh, we missed the playoffs by one game. It was kind of a bad situation what happened. Um, I think our sponsors ran out of money, Mike, and they didn't want us to win that game. We needed to win to get into the playoffs because we all, all the American players had some pretty good bonuses. My, my, my bonus was going to be $20,000 if we made the playoffs. And I, and I swear, Mike, there, there was some kind of situation where there was a deal made with the other team and the referees where our sponsors just didn't have the money to pay us. So the game, I mean, if I showed you the footage of the game, Mike, you would be like, this is crazy. This is a fixed game, you know? And um, we ended up losing. And uh, <clears throat> I came back. And that was 98, Mike. I, get, I got back with the Nets. Jason Williams got me back in the, uh, in, into their, their summer mini camp. Had a great mini camp. Went up against, you know, some Big East guys that were going to get drafted. Uh, their coach now was Coach Casey. Don Casey from the Celtics came over. And Jason Williams was like, hey, I'm best friends with Don Casey. You're, you're going to make this team this time around. He's like, I wasn't friends with Calipari. I wasn't friends with John uh, Nash, the GM of the Nets. They, they kind of hated Jason Williams in 1997. But he says, now in 1998-99, I'm best friends with the coach, and I'm going to get you on this team because we need someone of your, of your, of your talent level to come in and make shots. Um, I was there for about a week. They bring in some Italian kid. I don't even remember the kid's name. Uh, he comes in off a plane, comes to practice that day. I go head-to-head -head with him, totally destroy him. And, uh, again, I got released uh, that the end of that week. And uh, I went to Argentina. That was 98, 99. Um, I, I'm sorry, before I went to Argentina, Mike, the, uh, the, uh, the, it was, back then it was the CBA, it was like the G League. So the CBA was the Continental Basketball Association that was with the NBA, it was the minor league NBA, as the G League uh, is now to the uh, NBA. And uh, Keith Smart, Keith Smart played at Indiana. He made this huge shot for Indiana with Bobby Knight against Syracuse to win Indiana the national championship. He gets a hold of my agent and says, hey, I, I need him on my team down here in Indiana. It was called the Fort Wayne Mad Ants or something like that. Oh, no, I'm sorry, the Fort Wayne Fury in the CBA. So right after I got released in, in 98 from the Nets minicamp, the next day I'm on the road driving 10 hours to Indiana to play in the CBA. And this guy, Keith Smart, who a lot of people know, I think he's an assistant now, maybe Golden State, I want to say. But um, – he says he gets me on the phone before I leave. He says, pack your bags. You're going to be here. We're, we're signing you. You know, we need you. Uh, I go down there. I mean, Mike, if I tell you I missed one shot in three days, I missed one shot in three days. I mean, I was just, just tearing it up. Um, the third night, Dante Calabria, who played for North Carolina, I don't want to be someone that is, 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 is screaming, uh, talking sour grapes or complaining, but, hey, when you're like the 12 or 13 man, politics comes into play. And, you know, there's a lot of politics and favors that are handed out. And certain players make that 13th or 14th spot because 
They owe the agent a favor. The GM owes this guy a favor. The GM's friends with Dean Smith at North Carolina. So Dante Calabria comes in. He got cut by the Bulls. Comes in. We have an inner squad scrimmage. I just piss on the guy. I, I dominate him. And Dante Calabria is a good player. Uh, I believe they won the national championship when he was at North Carolina. I just totally pissed on him. Um, after the scrimmage, Keith Smart calls me in the office. He says, Ken, it's out of my hands. It's out of my hands. We're releasing you. I was like, I kicked, I kicked his desk, which I shouldn't have. I, I, I just lost it. And I, I said, Keith, you told me to pack my bags for the season. You told me you needed a shooter. I missed one shot in three days. He's like, Ken, I understand that. He said, I needed, I wanted you, but our GM is best friends with John Calipari, who is Dante Calabria's uncle. So John Calipari was Dante Calabria's uncle. Dante Calabria comes into the Fort Wayne camp from North Carolina, and he gets my spot. So I kick the desk. I slam the door. I, I, I drive 10 hours through the night home to New Jersey. And, again, I'm in a little bit of, of depression over the situation. I mean, I didn't give up. I ended up going to Argentina in 99, finished out my professional career. And then after that, Mike, I said, you know what? I had my basketball business going on while I was overseas. So I would come back, start it back up, go back overseas. It would dwindle down. I would have to come back, start it back up, rejuvenate it. So I said, you know what? I'm going to concentrate. I'm done playing. I'm going to concentrate on IYB basketball, my training, my AAU, my camps, my leagues, and, 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 and teaching all the young players everything I learned at every level. So that's where I am now, Mike. Uh, I've been with I, I, okay. I've been training with IYB um, over 20 years now, Mike. So uh, I'm proud of where it is. I'm proud of the growth. Um, I, love, I love teaching kids everything I learned and, and getting them to have success. And that's what, that's what gives me the, uh, the uh, satisfaction now, Mike, is, is watching someone I train work hard, develop, ask me questions, come in five days a week and work out with me. And then I go see him or her play and they have success. So that's where I get my satisfaction at, Mike. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I know that just from a personal fact of like, you know, you came to a bunch of my games in high school. You know, I've been training with you or just like been conversing with you since my sophomore year in high school. You know, I'm going to be 21, so it's been almost five years, right? Yeah. And yeah. one thing I just wanted to like touch on, just you can answer this quickly, obviously, is just, you, I think you've expanded IYB more than just like a basketball thing too. Like now you're running all these conditioning and your classes and you're also talking about nutrition a lot more. What kind of yeah. got you into doing that? Because people now, people who know you are like, okay, he's a great basketball trainer. But now when they look at your Instagram, you're doing these Instagram lives every night with these conditioning yeah. classes. Yeah. You've been helping out people in other communities, right? Like, you know, yeah. more stuff off the court, right? Like even with like, you know, the mask you just made, you're donating money to charities. Yes, yes. About that stuff, like the other stuff besides basketball that you really want to get into, why you think it's important for your brand? I mean, as you go through the process, Mike, you, you understand that it's not just about basketball skill. I mean, people, kids need help. Kids need confidence. Kids, you don't know what their situation is at home. Maybe they can't afford to train with me. Maybe they can't afford to play for my AU teams. And I, I realize that. You see, you could, you read kids, and I, I know, you know, by talking to kids, seeing them a few times, hey, you know, I got to help them. And I like helping them in more ways than just doing the basketball skill set, you know. And uh, we've raised money for, you know, for uh, underprivileged kids to play in my AAU program. Uh, I developed jobs for, for kids in the summer to come work for me. And I give them a salary. And then that helps them pay and for, for my training. Of course, I give them discounted rates and stuff like that. But 
I, I don't make finances a part of it. If you can't afford me, we'll find a way to get you in to see me some way or somehow, um, whether it be coming to work for me, coming to do the men's league clock for my men's league, um, you know, helping me with the little kids, run practices, run clinics for the little kids, um, first and second graders. But I don't want to turn anybody away, Mike. And as I went through the process, I understand it's not just basketball. It's, it's me being a coach, me being a psychiatrist, me talking to the kid, me giving the kid confidence, me asking him about his home life, me asking him about his grades, me talking to his teacher and asking him why he got suspended or why he got detention or why he's flunking three classes or why she's doing that. And me calling up the teacher, having relationships. And I think people and, and kids, when they see you doing that for them, they, they really trust you, they believe in you and they give you their all and they say, hey, listen, I'm with you till the end help my son, help my daughter, um, like I know you can. And I've been through it, Mike. I've been through it. You know, I've been doing this 25 years. I, I played at every level. I know what works. I know every kid is different. Uh, you don't want to treat kids different, but sometimes you have to, Mike. Some kids, you could get in their face and you could shake them up and that'll get them to perform. Some kids, you can't do that. You have to put your arm around them. You have to hug them. You know, you have to tell them you're here for them. You love them. And you're going to be here. And, hey, it doesn't matter if you mess up. I messed up. Everybody's messed up their life. So it happens, you know. And you want those kids to play through the difficult times in their life and, and get through the obstacles, get through the detours, because life is not smooth. You know, no matter what you do in life, you got to work hard. Good things will happen if you work hard. But nothing in life is going to be handed to you. And uh, it's never going to be a straight, smooth path. You know, there's going to be obstacles. And those are the things that are going to – make you stronger, make you mentally tougher, and get you to that next level. But yes, Mike, um, I have developed and, and I have helped um, kids, underprivileged kids. Um, I have friends in every avenue of the world, every, uh, you know, stock stockbrokers, hedge managers, coaches, doctors, psychiatrists. So I have a great circle of people that that I can turn to if a kid needs help or if I need them to talk to one of my students, or if I say, Hey, listen, you know, they have some deep pockets and they want to help out. They donate money and they help my program, you know? So, uh, being a good person, Mike, doing things the right way, um, making people trust you being a man of your word. I mean, it goes such a long way. And I know in my circle, if I need help or any of my students need help, I could pick up the phone and they're going to help that person just based on our relationship uh, and the trust and the hard work ethic that they know I have and I've instilled in, in the kids in my program. Yeah, I mean, I obviously commend that. I mean, like I've you know d done my fair share of working with kids. Uh, there's an Oasis program in Patterson that I'm from New Jersey, uh -huh. which I've worked with for years. Um, but I really appreciate, like, I think that's one thing about you that I think is great. You know, you do have a great basketball training thing, but I think it's a fact that you also are instilling a lot of confidence into a lot of players, right? And I think, especially as a trainer and nowadays, like that's just so important for so many good up and coming players that maybe just come from different situations. Um, so I really commend it. But Ken, I think it's good for us to wrap it up here. Thank you so much for being on the show. Um, I think a lot of our viewers definitely are learning a lot about just the fact that what it takes to be a great player. Um, and also just be a good person. So I really appreciate it. And, you know. Hey, hey Mike, I want to commend you for getting this started. You're young. There's not too many people that have a podcast that are 20, 21 years old. I want to commend you. You have a great future in front of you, basketball-wise. And then after basketball, uh, I know 
something special is going to happen in your life because you're a good person. You're a hard worker. You've always been. You've always been talkative, asked many questions. And that's why people like you, Mike. And you know I'm here for you if you need anything. And I'm, I'm going to tell everybody right now, I'm hiring you as a coach. Since you're taking the year off this year and working out with me, you're going to have some free time. So you're going to be coaching one or two of my AU teams in the fall and in the winter and the spring. And you're going to be running some clinics for me. And I, I just know you're going to do a great job just based off uh, our relationship, Mike. So I want to commend you for everything and wish you uh, great success in the future and, and best of luck to you, Mike. Yep. And uh, on a funny note, I'll, I'll see you Monday, Kent. We'll get right back after it. So, like, um, you know, it, baby, I want Buckets, Trey Ball City, man. It's a shooter's world. Yeah. Can you shoot, though, Mikey? And for viewers you know who don't know the Instagram, it's IY Basketball. Please follow him. You know, he's got a lot of followers on Instagram. You know, he's well-known around the New Jersey area. So definitely give my man Kent a uh, follow for anyone who and is – And, Mike, if, if you're if – you're, if you're, uh, if you see the Christmas tree in the back and you're like, what the hell is a Christmas tree doing in his house in August? <laughs> My wife changes that Christmas tree for every occasion and every holiday. So it turns from a Christmas tree to an Easter tree, to a Valentine tree, to a Halloween tree, to a July 4th tree. She does not <laughs> want to put it away. She loves the holidays and she will not put that thing away. So if you're like, what the hell is a Christmas tree doing in his house? <laughs> That's the reason, man. All right, Kent, um, I'll let you go. Thank you again for being on, and I'll see you Monday. All right, Mike. Take it easy, Mike. All the best to you. I'll see you Monday. Let's get that work, my guy. Take care, Mike.